listening to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro, the place to learn about new technology and technological advances before they become mainstream. This podcast is sponsored by Ingram Micro's Imagine Next. It's not about the destination. It's about going someplace you never thought possible. Go to imaginenext.ingrammicro.com to find out more. Let's get into it. Welcome to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro. I'm your host, Travis King, and our guest today is Jaime Ortiz, the principal engineer for Fortinet. Welcome, Jaime. So thrilled to have you here today. Thank you, Travis. I am equally as thrilled as well, probably a little more than you, but thanks so much. I don't know. You'll, you'll find out very quickly that this might be one of my favorite moments of the day, so we'll see. Awesome. But welcome, Jaime. So thrilled to have you here. So I was really curious and wanted to start us off with having you talk to us a little bit about why my internet might feel a little bit slower compared to what it used to be like at the office and how people can increase their internet speeds at home if their kids might be watching Disney Plus or Netflix while they're trying to close a deal on a video call or handle some meetings at work. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And who knew we'd be confronted with this uh, with this dilemma, right? So our internet speeds at our houses are actually they're they're fairly decent as far as download speeds. Uploads, eh, we could argue about that a little bit. I think some of the carriers like to be uh, generous on the down, but a little slow on the up. But what we have seen, what I have seen, what I've personally experienced with during the pandemic and having my kids doing school from home and then rapidly waiting for the next uh, episode of The uh, Mandalorian, that the uh, bandwidth starts to get chewed up all of a sudden. And boy, howdy, is it fun when you start pixelating on screen and then you start having like a... Uh, Max Headroom-like voice during the conversation. For those of you that are too young to know what that is, shame on you. But that being said, there is actually something that we've seen an uptick as far as modifying that bandwidth. And that's that's actually the use of SD-WAN in the home environment, which I would have never have guessed this. But one of those technologies that you could use at home is if you're fortunate enough to have two different providers that are available at your house. Maybe it's DSL and cable or those lucky people that have fiber and cable. But even if you have a great cell signal, right, you can have two different paths that you could use. So when this bandwidth starts getting chewed up by whatever video is being played or whatever game is being played by, by the folks in the house, you can actually prioritize traffic to where certain things get to take precedence over others. So even though that uh, great Mark Rober video that's just launched on YouTube is just dying to be seen, we can actually throttle that technology with that technology and make sure that mom and dad's Zoom call or big sales pitch is taking priority. But not only that, we could actually, if you have those dual circuits, we could actually move that traffic to a different circuit. So that way you can let them, non-important stuff, let them use that circuit, but then the, the priority will take precedence to the faster circuit with the faster download or upload speeds. But the beauty about it is if, if one of those circuits failed and then you guys had to share a single circuit, then the throttling can kick in and then you can still make sure you've got all the, uh, the speed that you need to make sure that you can close those deals, do the work at home and uh, make sure you can keep paying the bills that, uh, that you got to do uh, back at the house. Right. We don't want to lose any jobs because of the, uh, the season finale of one division. 
That is a fact. I mean, <laughs> appreciate that. And and really quickly before we go in, I, I want to touch on the difference between MPLS and SD-WAN. But before we do that, could you quickly share with everyone what your day-to-day looks like over there as a principal engineer, just so people can get an understanding of how you were able to come back with such an amazing answer after that question? <laughs> sure, sure. So a day in the life. Um, so I work I work at Fortinet as a, as a principal engineer, and it's it's been, obviously, it's been the, the, the ride of a lifetime. It's a phenomenal place to work. I get to operate with all different types of, of folks in the community, whether it's our partner community and enabling their sales force to understand the portfolio, as well as the engineers in designing the technology or the solution. We all know that sometimes you have those customers that have very interesting requirements. So we got to get a lot of brain power in the room to make sure we can make everybody happy. It's kind of funny. Sometimes I do tell people when they ask me, what do I do? Sometimes I respond with, I'm an IT therapist. I just kind of say, listen, I, I listen to problems in the IT world and I help them come to the conclusion of the solution that they need. And it seems to work out pretty well. Now, on top of that, I also get to deal with the customer base as well, where I get to speak with customers that are confronted with a, a challenge in their environment. For instance, this pandemic has really illuminated the need for remote access as well as other technologies where cloud started really picking up as well, where folks are going, you know what, this seems to be easier to, to access it directly than to backhaul to my company. But then because we're first and foremost a security company, that's the fun part, which I've got to do for over 20 years is kind of keep an eye on what's going on out there in the industry, making sure that we can help our customer base to not just try to keep out the bad guys, but also to find them even faster when they do get in. So it's just a mixture of so many things that really keeps my uh, keeps my professional career definitely extremely interesting. Appreciate that background. Extremely helpful and definitely cleans a pure picture as people figure out what principal engineers do at these companies like yours, right? I think so. Yeah, we, we try to be. We try to stay low key, but we try to have high impact, if that makes sense. Oh, a thousand percent. And so one quick thing, speaking of of high impact, what is the difference between SD-WAN and MPLS and how do you kind of measure and determine when to use each? Yeah, that's a... It's an interesting question, and I'll tell you, depending on who you ask, you get you get different answers. So I'll, I'll take a stab at it and trying to be as, uh, as PC as I can. So MPLS is a technology that we've been using for decades, right? It's, and it's really, it's really been remarkable in that it's allowed companies to build these full mesh networks to have relatively fast access between branch locations and hubs. But it is pretty darn pricey when you compare it to just you know traditional internet circuits. Now MPLS, right, is that is it's label switching, right? That's what the LS is, is stands for. It kind of has the same capabilities as just switching, meaning it's pretty quick. Whereas when you're routing, as you're sending traffic along a path, right, every time you hit a hop or a bump. You got to look it up and you got to go, okay, where are you coming from and where are you going? It's, it's like, think of it like traveling between a bunch of different countries and you're hitting, you're hitting the border or the customs every single time and they got to look at that passport and go, where are you coming from? Where are you going to and why, right? Same kind of thing with routing. It, it has those little bumps. 
Whereas MPLS doesn't really have that kind of thing. It's really, you, you hit the first gate and it says, where are you going? Oh, I know how to get there. Here's the path to go and boom, and you're off and running. So it's kind of like switching in that, in that essence. Now with SD-WAN, it actually is a technology that can run on top of MPLS if you want to, but we find that more and more folks are just leveraging commodity internet because MPLS can be a little cost prohibitive. It's tried, it's true, it's stable. And I'll tell you, a lot of folks will gravitate towards MPLS. In some cases, they feel it's a little more secure. You could argue one or the other when, when it comes to that conversation, but it gives them that private network feel. Whereas SD-WAN can allow us to use MPLS, but it can also allow us to use a commodity internet circuit and pull them together. And then we can actually leverage both circuits at the same time. We'll measure the performance of those circuits, right? Latency, jitter, packet loss, that kind of thing. Even application performance as well, which is kind of like a, uh, a passive way of measuring the, the uh, performance of the circuit itself. But then that SD-WAN technology creates what's called an overlay on top of these networks. And you can also use an underlay as well. Now, honestly, it's pretty cool terminology to say whether I'm gonna tunnel this traffic or not. That's really what overlay and underlay kind of stands for. Now, the diehard network folks out there may wanna take me out back and beat me for saying that, but that's kind of really what it boils down to. So in essence, with SD-WAN, I can take advantage of MPLS, but I can join it with that commodity internet. I can route specific traffic over different paths. I can fail over dynamically. I can measure the response. And it's not like a routing protocol that's waiting for a, oh, you know, bad route, bad path. We're measuring things in real time. Now, the beauty about SD-WAN also is that over time, you may start getting real comfortable with that commodity internet circuit that happens to be a 500% increase in bandwidth and a 50% decrease in cost. That starts to that starts to get real tasty real quick. So then eventually with that SD-WAN technology, if you want to, you can add a third circuit that's a different carrier for internet and then phase out the MPLS and put everything across the grand old internet itself because SD-WAN will make sure that you're always getting that best path and keep it resilient and give you kind of the same performance you've been used to, actually better than the MPLS network you've had. It sounds like overall going from the MPLS world to the SD-WAN helps your customers at least lower cost, increase performance, increase their security, and most importantly, it sounds like they're kind of setting up long-term solutions to something that's been a challenge with what it sounds like for a while. You're spot on. And, and I will tell you the other part that sometimes we don't want to talk about because it, it upsets the, the, the uh, powers that be. But a lot of folks are taking back their network from being managed by a third party because SD-WAN lets you do that. So there is some... There is, uh, there's some advantages there in that you don't have to pick up that phone anymore and call help desk and get that traditional answer. Huh, that's the first time we've ever seen that or everything looks good on our side. You can kind of take back a little bit of control. And I think there's some, I think there's some value in that. Yeah, and, and speaking to some of the, the companies that you mentioned that might be either looking to take back control, what would you say or what types of organizations find or would find the most value in secure SD-WAN solutions. Well, kind of what we talked about at the beginning, right? With, uh, with the example of doing it from home, at that point, it's it's nuts to think that this technology can scale no matter where you are. Now, it's interesting, and I'll tell you that we've seen SD-WAN, especially like an uptick in 
Uh, I mean, maybe we could tie this into the pandemic, but that curbside service stuff that's popped up all of a sudden, right? You get on that browser, you, you're double clicking what you want, you pull up some stranger, then dump stuff into your car and you drive off, right? In the 80s, that would have been considered some kind of Miami Vice episode, but I guess now it's totally kosher, so we, we just live with it. But when we look at that, we see retail really taking advantage of stuff like that because now more than ever, it's so important Like for those big organizations, those brick and mortar sites that are making sure that they survive. They've got to have that connectivity because now they're getting orders in real time and then they've, they basically have like a mini supply chain that's being developed where inventory is being monitored, but orders are coming in and then you've got to take things off shelves now, put them in the the staging area, which then gets put into carts and walked out to cars so that you can drop the uh, the product off to the to the person. But not only that, that person's grabbing their phone saying, I'm here so that you walk up. Well, SD-WAN being able to give the, the providers the ability to have that dynamic failover instead of waiting on like routing protocols to do it. But also because margins in retail, especially like we have some, we've seen customers in the, um, in the grocery business, right? You know, the margins are anemically slim there. Right? We're talking about half a cent on, on some of the products. Any way to reduce costs is a huge thing for them. So when you can go to them and say, you know, you can stop paying one, two, three thousand dollars a month for your circuit and change that to two, three, four hundred dollars a month per circuit. And then on top of that, you can say, yeah, and go ahead and multiply that by 50 to 100 sites. That's a cash inflow that's like certainly Christmas for them. So they're, they're, they get super happy about it. Retail is not the only one, right? There's all sorts of other, other environments that we've seen it done in. There's manufacturing, the OT space or like the, um, the operational technology space where being able to transmit data is so important and it is time critical. You can't have those, those lags. You want to make sure that data always has a path no matter what. And when you have that blip, you can flip over and sub-second times. That's a, that's a big deal for them, right? Plus, you know, we know that in, in the OT space, if you don't send a command just the right time at times, you know, it, things could go south. We've seen it happen before. So, you know, it really fits almost every environment out there. To be honest, I haven't run into environment where they said, no, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work for us because the technology can work over cellular also. So as long as you got a cell tower close by, you can still do it. Would you mind talking to us about the consolidation of the network stack? I feel like this is something that will add a lot of clarity to some of the things that are currently going through people's minds. But how does Fortinet secure SD-WAN help businesses with this implementation of consolidating the network stack? Like, how does it help partners increase their security or offering portfolio? Ironically enough, I'd say that's one of our, I sound like a, uh, I sound like a tour guide, right? That's one of our most popular packages. Um, so really what's happening is, and thanks to SD-WAN, is that the edge router is starting to real, folks are realizing that the edge router isn't isn't necessarily need to be in play anymore like it used to be, right? Because we had this delineation of services. We had your router, you had your switch, and you had your firewall. Here comes SD-WAN, here's another product to install. So what we've been looking at Fortinet is, you know, how do we consolidate it? Because really businesses are looking to get into a, into a, a model where consolidation is king because it translates into cost savings, right? We all know that's good. But not only that, by consolidation, you also can achieve simplification. Now, simplification also translates into cost savings because 
sometimes the skill sets that you are seeking, right? You need a, an amazing switch person, amazing router person, amazing firewall, all these different skill sets. Well, now, while you still need them, maybe they don't have to be as, as highly tuned because we've simplified the ability to build those networks. And how Fortinet has done that is the 48 firewall is the, is the core, is the brains of this operation at each location. But we have onboard switch controllers, which control our, our line of switch of our line of switching. And by doing that, you can take one of our switches and just use an Ethernet cable, no proprietary cable, nothing fancy. Just, you know, run down to the store if you have to and grab one, plug it into the 48. And the 48 then takes control of that switch. And what you've really done is you've added a next gen firewall engine to your switching infrastructure. So now you're able to scan that traffic that's inside that switch, but you can also automate controls as well. So if you need to do quarantining, you want to do dynamic VLAN assignments, you want to move devices over into triage VLANs because they're not checking out or some inventive, some indicator of compromise has shown up. Well, you can now automate these controls and say, ah, you know what, this is, this is not copacetic. We need to move you over here because we got a bunch of red flags. And you can prevent that lateral movement, which the bad guys love to use, right? They make lots of noise in one place, but they're silently going somewhere else. We see that as like the primary tactic they use quite often. But with Fortinet, with that FortiGate, you don't need that router anymore because we've got advanced routing on the box. Now you've got the firewall capability. You've also got the SD-WAN portion built into it. And the reason we call it secure SD-WAN is because we've got that next-gen component as well, which is that web filtering, that IPS, the AV scanning, plus the automation that can go through. And then you add the switching infrastructure to it. So now you've got, you know, all the way down to the user control, all the way up the stack to the application. And then let's not forget also, we also have a wireless controller built into the platform also. So if you really want to go full tilt, You've got wireless now, wired, firewall, SD-WAN, plus next-gen firewall security all wrapped into a single package. And of course, it's all managed from a central location. So you can make sure you're rubber stamping that deployment across the board. You actually automate the deployment as well. So it translates into dollars for the business, For but the bits and bytes and blink and light folks like me, we like it because it's, it's, it's pretty slick and it does streamline operations. It sounds like it's just it's cutting out the the chaos and unnecessary overwork and repetitive things that that a lot of uh, people in the space currently are, are doing, and it's simplifying and, and trying to make things a lot more efficient just with a few upgrades and some technology. You know what, Travis, you're spot on. I guess you know you did it in what 25 seconds. What I took three minutes. So awesome job. <laughs> Oh, no, it's not me. It's the artificial intelligent note taker that's helping me. Don't give me all the credit. The question we always ask everyone is, where do you see technology going in the next year? And I'm really excited to hear your take on this one for a number of reasons. So... <laughs> to be cheeky about it, I think um, this isn't my real answer, but I think we'll see um, chip making uh, facilities start being reappropriated to different places so we don't have chip shortages. But that's that's a whole nother topic of conversation. What do I see happening? So because of this work from home thing, and I, I, I kind of have a passion about the subject because it's something I've harped on forever. As a matter of fact, most of my friends will sit there and go, the dude doesn't shut up if you get him on his soapbox. So 
where I see see the big things, right? I think zero trust network access, and we're all going, yeah, 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 yeah. We know we've got it. We know we've got it. And you'll see a lot of that firewall as a service of those sassy clouds that are starting to tout this heavily, like zero trust network access, because we had to address it. We have to realize that we're working from home, right? I always say this, if you can solve the Starbucks problem, meaning working from Starbucks, you can solve any problem at that point because you have no idea what's going on there besides a good cup of coffee and a really expensive piece of lemon pound cake. But that being the case, I look at zero trust being the end all be all, but you know what is really the challenge? This is Jaime's personal observations of where I think we're gonna eventually go. It's that authorization and authentication piece, right? We have all these different things that we've gotta do. There's so many ways we can do it, right? We've got the certificate, we've got scanning of the endpoint, we can look for registry keys to make sure they're authenticated, we can load a client that has some type of pre-config that acts as maybe even a, a simple salt for an encryption algorithm, whatever, right? But here's what I'm thinking, and I think it'll probably be underway. And part of me thinks after I speak this on the podcast, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just take off like crazy. But you know what's really unique to a lot of us as well? And this is me getting kind of pie in the sky, but it's our heartbeat, And I think there's a good opportunity here for those of us that become, you know, we live with our Apple watches or whatever watch it has to be, right? But what could happen to this world when you all of a sudden realize that heartbeat is something that identifies you and because you're wearing it on your wrist and it's tied into your platform, that that couldn't be your zero trust network access authorization tool. And here's the deal. It can get checked anytime randomly to make sure it's who is in front of the keyboard and who's actually doing that work. And the thing is, if it doesn't respond, well, two things could be. Number one, you could be dead. That would be terrible. And that way, you don't need zero trust access because you can't get any work done anyway. (laughs) Or the other part is, if there's a failure, then you could always fall back to other conventional means. But the point being is, talk about something that's going to be continuously running, continuously changing. And yes, there are some concerns about that kind of I will say that that healthcare data, right? I I understand that concern. But the way I look at it is it can then translate to so many other things. Just imagine if if we broadcast zero trust based on that type of telemetry or that personal fingerprint of ours, why couldn't it tie into everything else that we do for being able to do any types of transactions or credit card transactions or sending of data? All of that stuff could be tied into it in the end. And I think to me, I think the zero trust network access model that we're all talking about now as a buzzword, I think is a great catalyst for this to possibly become a reality. I will say you definitely have one of my top answers of all time for that question. Oh, well, great. Thanks. Well, all right. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that worked for you. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because when you think about where the future of tech's headed, you, you you touched on something that's really interesting, and it's the fact that it almost in a way is is not tech, it's soul, and it's untangible, which I think is something even more deeper for people to think about. I agree. If people want to learn more about what we talked about today, Jaime, where can they get in contact with either you or the the Fortinet team? 
So we have we have our own dedicated Fortinet team. Uh, of course, you can go to Fortinet.com. They have wealth of information there. Of course, there's also you can you can contact the folks over at Ingram Micro as well because we're constantly sharing data, and that's that's how that's how we link our success, right? As we engage our our partner communities and our and make sure that everyone's well versed in the technology, so that we can do these wins together. I love it. And for everyone listening. If you like this episode or have a question, join in on the discussion on Twitter at Ingram Tech SOL with the hashtag B2B Tech Talk. And as always, thank you for tuning in and subscribing to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro. You've been listening to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro. This episode was sponsored by Ingram Micro's Imagine Next. B2B Tech Talk is a joint production with Sweetfish Media and Ingram Micro. Ingram Micro production handled by Laura Burton and Christine Fan. To not miss an episode, subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform.